This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson coming to you from Wurundjeri land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Australia and one of its longest and closest allies were at loggerheads this week. It all kicked off during the second test match of the Ashes series between Australia and England. Oh, now, this is going to be interesting. A sharp bit of play, a controversial call. Johnny Bairstow's walked out of his crease here. This could well be out. And uproar from the crowd. I thought it was totally fair play. Um, that's how the rule is. I know some people might, uh, might disagree a lot, just like the catch yesterday. The rules. Through Australian eyes, and as far as the rules go, the English were out. But according to their captain and prime minister, and the much-talked-about spirit of cricket, no-one would want to win the way the Aussies did. Probably just have to have a little think around the sort of whole spirit of the game and things like that. So, uh, Comments that touched on a particular sore point for Australians who resent being told how things are by posh English people. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Deputy Editor David Monk, about why this Ashes series is not just about cricket. It's Friday, the 7th of July. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Gabs. Lenore, there has been a huge international incident that has happened this week. What's going on? Well, by the end of this podcast, Gabs, I hope we will have figured that out. It has to do with <laughs> cricket. The serving Prime Ministers of Australia and Great Britain have been pulled into it. Former Prime Ministers have been pulled into it. Former Test Captains, current Test Captains, like there isn't anybody in the Australian or English world, it seems, who hasn't had a take on it this week. I guess I have to start with a bit of a disclaimer in this episode in that I really don't know a lot about cricket, so I am not going to be the one sprouting statistics and historical comparisons to make my points. Luckily, we have my deputy Dave Monk here to do that. He knows everything about cricket, but that's so not true. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> but I think it's clear that this, what seems like kind of a small and arcane argument about cricketing rules, has blown into something much, much, much bigger than that, and I'm fascinated about why that is. And I think I'm also here to represent all those people who aren't obsessive about cricket and are slightly perplexed about some of the things that have been discussed this week. Yes. So there's a lot to talk about, but so everyone at home can follow along. David Monk, 
please tell us in the simplest terms possible exactly what happened. Well, the simplest terms is that somebody was out, but really it's about the game of cricket and there are sort of very old laws and rules which have been written down over the ages about it. And there's this sort of very nebulous thing called the spirit of cricket and these two things, I think, collided last week. So it happened where Cameron Green was uh, the Australian uh, all-rounder was... Uh, bowling the last ball of the uh, 52nd over and it was a bouncer and Johnny Bairstow who was uh, on on strike as they say uh, he ducked underneath it and the ball whizzed through to Alex Carey uh, who is the Australian wicketkeeper that's another short ball and at that point is where everything starts to go either right or wrong depending on which uh, which team you support so Bairstow uh, taps his foot on the ground scratches it a bit and then he wanders outside what is called the crease and this is the sort of the the chalk or the white lined area where a batsman has to uh, stand uh, it doesn't have to stand but uh, can be out if he's not in that area so um, Bairstow walks out of uh, his crease uh, because he thinks it's the end of the over, and he walks towards Ben Stokes. But meanwhile... Oh, now, this is going to be interesting. Johnny Bairstow's walked out of his crease here. This could well be out. I don't think there was a call of over. Johnny Bairstow's ducked and then walked out of his crease. Alex Carey's just thrown the ball at the stumps and hit them. Alex Carey lobs an underarm throw with the ball, uh, and he hits the wicket. Uh, The Australians appeal, and eventually Bairstow is found to be out. So the controversy here is that the batsman, Bairstow, is supposed to wait until the umpire says the ball is dead, right? This over is over. Exactly. So it's not over till it's over. I thought it was totally fair play. Um, That's how the rule is. I know some people might might disagree a lot. Just like the catch yesterday, the rule's there. But in this instance, the umpires, although if you, I guess if you were to sort of like slow down the video really, really slowly. You may just about see the umpire start to take a step, which would indicate the fact that, but he hadn't actually called over. Mm. So even though he may have started the action, he hadn't actually said over, which would have basically meant the ball was dead. Um, But look, at the end of the day, it's out. Um, You know, and I think if if the shoe was on the other foot, I would probably just have to have a little think around the sort of whole spirit of the game and things like that. So um, look... It's happened, it's out, but, you know, we're just going to move on and, and see what's in front of us. So there's no dispute that Johnny Bairstow was out. That's within the rules of the game. Totally. It's, I mean, I think everybody, apart from maybe one or two English people, I mean, I really probably mean one or two, know and can see that it was within the rules of the game. So what's the problem? Well, there is obviously a problem because it has been done in a way which some people say is not in the spirit of the game. You know, said to have been a sleight of hand by the Australians. It seemed to have been sneaky. It seemed to have been sour practice. These are the words which have been uh, bandied around. And wh- whichever way you look at it, it was a really unusual way to get out. It very, very, very rarely happens something like this. I mean, very rarely. Uh, and so, in at such an important occasion, at such an important moment within the within the match, this happened, and that's why it all all hell broke loose. I've got to say this is the bit where I get baffled, to be honest. So everyone agrees the bloke was out and the umpire said he was out, which I thought was the umpire's whole job. Like I thought you literally (laughs) had to always accept the umpire's decision, except apparently not. The English argument seems to be 
that it was poor form or, as as Dave says, not in the spirit of the game. So then I guess you get to this discussion, is it really that unusual and sneaky a thing to do or isn't it? Now, again, like I said at the beginning, I'm not an expert, but from what I read in these sort of about 60 gazillion takes on it this week, the same bloke who got out had tried to do something similar to an Australian batsman earlier in the same match and the English coach who used to play for New Zealand did the exact same thing in 2006 and then straight afterwards said, I never thought it wrong a wrong thing to do. The rules are there and you can't reward stupidity. Radio. So then he, the English coach, thought about it over about a decade and gave a speech and said he'd grown up now and he wished he hadn't done that and it wasn't really in the spirit of the game. So, okay, looking at all of that, maybe it's it's not a usual thing to do, but it's not an unheard of thing to do. And it's certainly debatable, like it's not cheating, which is what the English crowd was chanting. So I'm sort of left with these two questions. One, how can you have written rules and then these slightly amorphous unwritten rules, which sometimes but not always trump the actual written rules and sometimes but not always are more important than the actual written rules and also somehow transcend the whole reason that there are these blokes out there wearing white clothes, chucking balls around a field, which is to win the game, because the unwritten rules are somehow more important than just winning. And then I guess the second question that really fascinates me, which I'm sure we'll get to later in the discussion, is why this arcane rule thing blew into this enormous international incident, which I think we could all suggest is not just because of the arcane rule, right? And I think that, uh, as Lenore says, there are two things there. Why did it blow up? And it blew up, I think it really blew up because of what happened actually after the Australians left the pitch uh, later on. However, going back to just what Lenore was saying, what was the context around this? I mean, you have to understand the context around this match to understand perhaps the sort of the sheer passions which were flowing through through an already passionate crowd. So you had this sort of like critical moment uh, in the match. But in fact, it was probably a critical moment for English cricket. They'd already lost the first test and they'd lost it playing what is being called basball, which is this sort of real buccaneering, cavalier-like sort of like swashbuckling sort of cricket where, you know, it's, you know, just get out there and have a great time and, and show entertaining cricket and also win. However, it then collided with the immovable force of an Australian team in, in test one. Test two comes along it's Lords, the, the home of cricket, and they are found to be wanting. So it's it's at a very critical moment. It, Australia probably were just about ahead in the match. This bang happens. And then you have a couple of other bits of context which you have to understand. One is the cultural baggage. This is England against Australia. It is the ashes. Lots of stuff has happened in the past. Bad dismissals, angry exchanges, etc. during ashes matches. But also, and I think this is perhaps where it all sort of like flows, is the cultural baggage that this Australian team actually brings with it. Mm. And that follows Sandpaper Gate, which, if you remember, was where um, a member of the Australian team had some sandpaper down there, underpants, whacked it out and, um, well, whacked the sandpaper out. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and then excuse me, and then uh, the idea was to rough up the ball, which would um, enable the bowler to have a bit of an advantage. This was found out. What happened next was history. Uh, David Warner and and, uh, Steve Smith, who was then the captain, back in Australia in tears. They were banned from playing for the national team. So that's a lot of baggage. And that only happened relatively, only the last few years. That only happened a few years ago. So they, that all came along before Australia had been this sort of nasty team which was going to win at all costs, hence Sandpaper Gate. They said they were going to change. The, the coach, I think at the time, Langer, said they wanted to be a different type of team. And so they were coming to England with that spirit in mind. But 
the haunting nature of Sandpaper Gate was still there with them. But Dave, the Australian cricket team has redeemed itself, hasn't they? They're a completely different team. I think First Dog on the Moon summed it up really well when he said in his cartoon this week, the Australian team are really hard to hate now under Pat Cummings. I think they are. They have, I guess, the two main characters, as I said, from that bad period of David Warner and and Steve Smith are still there. They're still brilliant cricketers. They both uh, uh, apologise for what happened. They both realise it shouldn't have happened, shouldn't happen and should never be done. And they have tried to redeem themselves. But still, I guess both of them, perhaps maybe more Warner, who is quite a fiery character uh, and doesn't sort of take a step backwards when confronted by uh, jeering English uh, uh, people, they still see the shadow of, of that there. And they uh, any crowd will, will leap upon anything which can, can give their team an advantage. And baying away at, um, at the Australians for Sandpaper Gate is probably one, one way of doing it. But it's not really analogous, is it? Because, like, you know, I get Australians wouldn't want to be reminded of Sandpaper Gate, and that was an awful period in Australian cricketing history. But that was cheating, and this wasn't cheating. Like this clearly wasn't the same thing. I don't really get why that baggage is relevant to something where the umpire said he was out. Because if you believe in this spirit of the game and the way that people conduct it, then they don't take part in underhand or sneaky uh, behaviour on the pitch. Now, it's an argument. But I guess the bit that I really don't get is this spirit of the game thing, which seems to mean that you don't play as hard as you can right up to where the rules say you can't do it anymore. You don't go in there really wanting to win. It's sort of in some amorphous and ill-defined way, gentlemanly, and sometimes you don't, you know, you put something undefined ahead of winning. I mean, since when did that ever happen in professional sport? If you've got like Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer playing a tennis match and one of them pulls a muscle, the other one doesn't go, oh, the spirit of tennis says I have to serve a bit softer because poor old Roger pulled a muscle. They're out there to win. They'd serve even harder. Isn't that what professional sport is? You want to win inside the rules and this was inside the rules yeah and, and and i guess you just brought up tennis i think it's quite a good analogy there because if you think about it nick kyrgios he sometimes tries to get a sneaky point by by serving underarm he's done it on many occasions and people don't like it they think that's not in the spirit of tennis even though the a lot law, of people do like it but a lot of people like well, it a lot of people <laughs> just lot not of the people, traditional tennis people <laughs> maybe that's the case but really what i guess it's uh, this is where other things collide. It's what you're expecting against what actually happens. Mm. It isn't like rules are rules. The umpire defines the rules. You play by the rules. I don't get how there can be another set of undefined rules as defined by British people, which get kind of brought in, you know, periodically. I think that's a good segue to the next question, Lenore, because, Dave, you alluded, you've both alluded to this, actually. Something else happened, which really lit the fire. So, Dave, just explain quickly what that was. What happened in the long room when Australia walked off the field after this? And what is the long room? Well, so the long room is this sort of like uh, wood panelled uh, interior of the main stand, the oldest stand, not the main stand, but the oldest stand at Lords, as far as I know. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, please, uh, listeners. And in a very unusual set of circumstances in Lords, you have the both teams uh, proceed through the long room and actually through the, the uh, members of the long room, members of the MCC, the Marlborough Cricket Club, uh, dressed in their ties and and, the, and their jackets. And they, and they sort what of... What is min- with the jackets? Yeah. And what's <laughs> with the ties? <laughs> Striped blazer. Mm. And you have, you have this real coming together of, of both the supporters, very 
entitled supporters often of cricket and the, and the cricketers themselves. It doesn't really happen that much. Like at the SCG, you see the Australian team and the and the opposing teams. They come from their balcony area down some stairs and they sort of do sort of come through the crowd, but they don't mingle in that sort of way. So it's very close up. So you have the uh, exiting uh, Australian team. They're coming off the field after after a moment of play, after you know your tea or whatever it may be. And and so what happens is that they go into the long room and they're already being booed off and shouted and screamed at by other supporters around Lords. But they come into the long room and to that stand where I guess traditionally it's just been sort of murmurs of discontent. But th- this was full throated. Cheat, cheat. It was like accusations being thrown. There was like people pointing and sort of people jostling, u- jostling and people people videoing it, which apparently is also not allowed. Usman Kawaja, who I, I read and is generally accepted to be the nicest <laughs> nicest man in in cricket, uh, is stops and sort of like remonstrates. I think with one of the people who is shouting at him. You see David Warner getting a bit involved as well. People are sort of trying to usher them away. Other video shows them going up the stairs and all this, like, there's a cacophony of noise and cheat, cheat, cheat. There are a few sort of, well done, Travis, well done, David. Yes, But mostly it's like the members shouting and, and that's really, really unusual. And this is the MCC, like, they actually own the Lord's Ground. They are the guardians of the laws of cricket. You know, they're the upholders of the spirit of cricket and they're booing and jostling and saying cheat, cheat, cheat in their extremely toffee accents. It was a pretty awful look. The former British PM, John Major, actually said the real breach in the spirit of cricket occurred in the long room at Lords. It was a pretty ugly scene, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, I think I think it absolutely was. And John Major was right about that. Um, um, and the person who was wrong about that was Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, who uh, who, who piped up and decided to, to jump into this particular war, having read, no doubt, the front pages of the Daily Mail and a few of the conservative voting tabloids. And then you go to the next phase of this, which is the political phase of, of, of a, um, it's not really a culture war, but of a sort of like a, a war. And I think that scene was where people who aren't normally interested in cricket sort of bought into this whole story. They're sort of, you know, that kind of entitlement of, you know, lots of privileged Englishmen and they were mostly men. I think it took them 200 years to let women into the MCC. Um, in fact, yeah, the women's the women's cricket team, England women's cricket team hasn't even played at Lords yet. Yes. I think I really liked how Marina Hyde put it in her um, always excellent column where she said, the footage from the staircase and the long room show a large crowd so entitled and gripped by some fundamentalist belief in their own superior decency that they behaved in this way even though they knew the TV cameras were on them. And I think that pushed all our sort of colonial buttons. It certainly pushed all my Republican buttons. Being dictated to by you know, boorish English people. I think that got a lot of people involved in the story who maybe hadn't been involved in it before then. And, you know, it's sort of interesting because I guess colonialism is always a sort of subtext in cricket because it's a game that the British took to all of their colonies. You just need to look at where it's played. I mean, I think that's always sort of there a little bit under the surface. I was going to say, just to go back on, just because Marina Hyde should be mentioned at least twice, <laughs> she also described she also described the people um, shouting and screaming at Usman Khawaja as a bunch of baying gin hounds whose wives buy their pants. <laughs> which I thought was the most extraordinary. <laughs> and she said, and, okay, let's make it three times. She said, so I have to remember, she said something like the spirit of cricket is about 40% proof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on this occasion, certainly, yeah. 
English cricket has not been without its own recent controversies, right, Lenore? Um, no, there was stories recently about a report that came out, I think it was just last week, a report called Holding Up a Mirror to Cricket, which said that English cricket suffered from widespread and deep-rooted racism, sexism, elitism and class-based discrimination at all levels of the game and urgently needed reform. It concluded that there was a sort of elitist exclusionary culture at the heart of cricket, in part enforced through the dominance of private school networks within cricket's talent pathways, together with sexist, racist and other discriminatory practices and policies that lead to discriminatory outcomes across the game. So that is a recent report. Mm. There's always been rivalry and banter, it's sometimes called, between Australia and England when it comes to the Ashes. We, you know, especially I think at The Guardian, which, you know, has an Australian and British mm. edition, we think it's friendly. Yeah. But is it friendly? <laughs> Usually I think it is friendly, but I think this, for the British, it sort of pushed the buttons of the previous cheating and sandpaper gate controversies. I think for Australians, the combination of, you know, improper allegations of cheating and then what happened in the long room pushed kind of that colonial Republican anger. Prime Ministers brought in. Anthony Albanese responded to Rishi Sunak by saying, you know, the chant was same old Aussies always cheating and he said same old Aussies always winning, he tweeted. So, you know, I think this one was not just fun. There was a real edge to it that isn't always there when it's just the normal banter. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising that Rishi Sunak is a little bit disappointed when I was uh, learning to play cricket, as every Australian does at primary school, uh, the nuns at St Joseph's Camperdown knew, yes. put your bat behind the crease. Yes. <laughs> Stay in your crease. Obviously, right? <laughs> it's pretty, it's not hard. Do you think hard. there's something at the moment, given that Britain's been through such a difficult time, um, that the economy is in such bad straits after Brexit, there's been so much upheaval and there were such high hopes about these ashes that that's kind of heightened everything from the UK perspective? I think so. This is like going to be vindication of the different way that England goes about doing things. It, it just reminded me of a, a bit like a kid's tantrum from the English, of which I guess I am one, although I'm sort of more majority Scottish, I would say. Um, <laughs> Conveniently just, now. Just mm. um, but it's a bit like a kid's tantrum where a kid has been told not to do something. They then go and do it and, there's, and, they, and they no longer get the prize. And then you say to them, but we told you. But they said, but that's just not fair. You know, well, there are rules and it, it, they, it may not appear to be fair, but the rules are there. And if you step over them, then you'll pay the punishment. I think we just accept the umpire's decision. The third test has now begun. Whoever wins this, will that be the end of it? Oh, come on. We're going to be hearing about it for the next goddamn 100 <laughs> years, Gabrielle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> next, angry birds and angry dogs. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Hold up. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Uh, Lenore, other than the ashes, what can't you get out of your head this week? I'm intrigued by the um, by the wars of um, Twitter v. Blue Sky v. Threads. So I joined Blue Sky this week, which was fun. It's kind of like a high school reunion where the whole band of people who used to talk to each other on Twitter back in the day are sort of talking to each other again without all the sort of incendiary stuff that was going on on Twitter. But then Mark Zuckerberg's Meta launched threads at the end of the week so that you need an Instagram account to log on to that one. I'm going to have a look at that as well. So it's just interesting to watch what's going on and which one of these platforms is going to take off and hopefully the days of the very bad bluebird are over or soon will be. Well, uh, yeah, I am on all three now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of time-consuming in the transition period, right? <laughs> I just want someone to tell me who won <laughs> and then I'll go there. Um, Dave, what can't you get out of your head? Um, unfortunately, I've gone down the rabbit hole of uh, angry dogs on Twitter, Facebook and uh, Instagram. That's different from angry bird, right? Uh, much different from angry bird. And <laughs> this is just because it, every time I see it, see it, it just like makes me laugh so much because, A, I, I really love dogs and I don't have one. I wish I did have one. But the, the the sort of like the meme here is basically a dog which is expecting something but then doesn't get what is expecting. Oh, like the English cricket team. Like, <laughs> exactly like the English cricket team. And is it fair? You know? Anyway, the spirit two, of dogs. There's two beautiful ones. One is where a guy there's this guy who's basically got this uh this uh two two basically burger containers, you know, those styrofoam containers. Mm. And he opens his container and the dog is literally sitting there, a little Jack Russell Terrier sitting there. He opens his container and he's got a nice big fat burger in it. When I give my dog a smaller burger. Then he opens the dog's container and it's got this literal miniature, miniature burger. And the dog looks at it and then he starts growling. <laughs> and- <laughs> And he does the same thing with this bag of chip crisps where he sort of he rustles inside the bag and pulls something out and he actually pulls a, a leaf of lettuce out and the dog looks at the lettuce and starts growling. And anyway, it just makes me laugh every time. I don't know why. Well, thank you both so much for um, joining us. It was a very enjoyable discussion. Thanks, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Coning, who also designed the theme tune. It was executive produced by me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story will be back in your feeds on Monday. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.